Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Well, we've looked at, in the last couple of weeks... Three specific tests, or as I numbered them, three specific tests that uh, Joseph has administered to his brothers. One of the tests was to determine if they actually were sorry, regretted their mistreatment of him. They want, he wanted to find out if they were getting along with one another, you know, as a group. Would they leave Simeon and fend for themselves kind of thing, or have him fend for himself? And lastly, he wanted to find out if their treatment of Benjamin was different than how they treated him. And last week we looked at uh, some of the responses that they gave. And we came to the conclusion at the end of the service that basically it seems like these boys have repented. These boys have changed, particularly Simeon, excuse me, particularly Judah, sorry, Judah. Judah didn't offer his sons to Jacob as security or a guarantee for Benjamin's safe return. He offered himself, and that was big. And we looked at that, and we we talked about that a little bit, talking about how... In, in a microcosm kind of way, that's what Christ did for us. We were supposed to be on the chopping block. We were to be accused. And this was not a false accusation. This was a true accusation. We blew it. And Jesus came in and said, I'll take your place. I'll take the punishment And it's an excellent introduction to this lesson tonight, Isaiah 53. Because that's what it was. He took our transgressions. He took our wounds. With his stripes, we're healed. And that's what this lesson starts talking about and unfolding. What does that mean what does it mean for someone to do that? I, wanna, I, wa- I want you to think about that. God is working. God is working in our world. God worked with Joseph. He worked with his brothers. He worked with his dad. He worked with Pharaoh. He worked with the officials. He worked with all the people there. God is working today. So I've... I've, I've 
tried to chop this up into five different sections, okay? Not to labor, uh, make it laborious for you, but I want to talk about God's unfolding plan. God is working for His people here. And I want us to, as we talk about this, I want us to think about how He's working for us, how He's working through the church, how He's working with us and through us to affect so many people. The first section I call God's person. God's person. Verses 1 through the first part of 5. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Think about this just a second. Think about it just a minute. Judah's speech from the last chapter finally convinced Joseph that these guys have repented. These guys are sorry about what's going on. He no longer has questions about their intentions, about anything that, that they're thinking. They willingly sold him, but they defended Benjamin. And that was the last big test he had. Judah had offered himself. He seemed sincere. He was, he was deeply sorrowful of how this was going to affect his dad. And he absolutely thought, now is the time for the big reveal. Now is the time for the big reveal. It's time to tell. Commands everybody to get out. Now, think about what's happening. Because if we read over this very quickly, you're going to miss it. I missed it for years. He starts crying. They are alone. You have to understand, these boys know nothing of this guy except that he, with a snap of his fingers, can have them just eradicated. Okay? He is second in command of all Egypt. He can do anything he wants to. He's already put them into jail. And he kept Simeon. He's accused them of spying. He's accused Benjamin now of, 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 of stealing the cup. They are so wiped out emotionally, and all of a sudden, he clears the room. This has got to be terrifying. And it says a little later, they are terrified. Absolutely scared Knees knocking. They don't know what to do. They are alone with the second in command of Egypt. But not only that. He is screaming at people to get out. And he is crying. Now, I want, to I want you to understand something. He is not crying, you know, like this... Uh, I, I saw I saw a, a, a movie one time about you know it, it was black in the 1800s and something where this where this little girl was trying to get this guy's attention and she went oh 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 
you know, unpatting herself kind of like that. That's not it. He is going hog wild. I can say that in Arkansas. Hog wild crying. Now, have you ever heard someone cry in that particular way and you're not sure if they're sorrowful or if they're angry or what? You're not 100% sure what these people are feeling. That's where they are. They are terrified. They see His greatness, their smallness, and the tension continues to build. It is a sense of terror. Absolute terror. And then he does something strange. Joseph said to his brothers, verse 3, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? He finally gets in control of himself. And he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Stop. You're going to miss it. It's implied in the text. What, did the, what, what does it say about the guys? They can't say anything. Have you ever had it where, where just one second you're, you're, you're fine and dandy, but another second it's like you can't speak? Everything dries in your mouth. It, it goes from, from you know just, just like your, your tongue sticking, and you can't say anything. You are so scared. Why are they scared? You say, well, they said, I am Joseph. I don't think so. I think, I think there's something before that. What did he just say to them? I am Joseph. What? He speaks Hebrew. They heard him in their own language. He's not speaking Egyptian. This whole time, he's been, every interaction has been through an interpreter. He's speaking our language. That would freak me out. This high and mighty guy is said, and then you sit there and say, wait a minute. What, what did he say? And then it clicks in what he says. Then it clicks in. I am Joseph. And they've got to be sitting there saying, what is going on? And you just think about it, how their minds are are racing. This is the guy we hated with a passion. This is the guy we hated without a cause. We, We stripped him. We bound him. We chucked him in a pit. We pulled him out of the pit. We sold him. We totally rejected this man. And he just said, I am Joseph? If they even had an inkling of seeing Joseph ever again in their lives, they saw him as a slave somewhere, in a a hole somewhere, just, just, you know, destitute. Not as the second in command of Egypt. And suddenly it hits them. It absolutely hits them. 
are we talking mercy here? Are we talking vengeance? This guy can do anything he wants to to them. He holds their life in his hands. He's done so many things to them un, uh, already, and it's got to be disconcerting. It's got to be unsettling. And then he makes another move. Now, all of these are innocent moves. You understand that. He's not playing games. He's not doing this and that. It's just the guilty consciences of these people and the unexpected of these people that he's saying this, and then he tells them, come closer. That would scare. It's, 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 it's like you're being told one thing and everything in your body is saying, go the opposite direction. Come closer means turn around and run like Joseph did at the, you know, with the lady. Everything's got to be going crazy with these guys. And then he has the audacity to say this, I am your brother Joseph. You know, the one you sold to, into Egypt in slavery. <laughs> and then the eyes get even bigger because they've not said anything about selling Joseph. And I don't think they know that Joseph has told a couple of people I don't think they're... What did they say when he said, do you have any other brothers? And they said, one with daddy and what? One that was and is no more. They didn't say he was sold into Egypt. He just... This is crazy. This is crazy. But look at it. Look at it. He's not playing games with them. Why? Verse 5, And now, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me. That has to be about the second most incredible forgiveness statement in the Bible. The first one is what? On the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This has got to be just right up there. Don't be angry. Don't be distressed for what you did. I, I want to wrap my mind around that, but it's difficult. I want to, I want to be able to forgive people like that. But let me tell you the only way you're going to get there, the only way I'm going to get there is point number two. God's person, God's purpose. Verses 5b through 8. Because, don't do this, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead. God's got a plan. God's working in this thing. You know what? Let me just tell you how He's working. 
God can take your absolute sinful everything and work it out. Work through those events to bring good. To bring good. They meant it to harm him. God meant it to bless. He prevented him from being a person in authority to the person in authority. I love that. Joseph looked beyond his brothers to God for his sufferings. But he also looked beyond the Pharaoh to God for his blessings. God's working here. God's working here. Three times, verse 5, verse 7, verse 8, Joseph says in, in, in certain language, God did this. God did this. Now this is not the brothers saying this. If it had been the brothers saying this, what would you say? The brothers are just trying to shift blame to God. You know, like Adam did. God, you know, it's that woman that you gave me kind of thing. But it's not. It's Joseph saying that. And Joseph, Joseph says a lot. He says this is about preserving life. We're two years into a seven-year famine and God's got a plan. People are in great danger. But with God, there's going to be a great deliverance. And this was a, just a step in the eternal plan for mankind to be blessed through Abraham's seed. It was a step. It was a step. Did Joseph have all this figured out? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He didn't want to be in prison. He didn't want to be accused. Can you imagine what would that felt like? You were just helpless. Over and over and over and over again. Obviously, he didn't like the situation. You can't say that Jesus loved being in the garden knowing what was going to come. You can't say that Jesus spent three years of his life just thinking about what was, what was ahead and he just absolutely loved it. You can't say that. But he loved the result of it. It was the joy of that which was set before him, not the cross, but what was going to come from the cross. The salvation and, and, and deliverance of people. It was going to be fantastic what Jesus was going to do. He is not denying, Joseph is not denying here that the brothers had something to do with it. Obviously they did and they were guilty. But there was a greater purpose. God was going to work through these things for a greater good. Three, three quick lessons and we'll go on. Three quick lessons. Number one, man's intent is often different than God's intent. We can't always see, we can't always see God working. In the book of Esther, the word God, the name of God is not even used, but you know He's working. 
And a lot of times it's like events that just are natural events, seemingly, but God is working. God is working. And He's working to preserve His people. And sometimes the suffering, sometimes the difficulty, sometimes the mistreatment seems to be leading to harm. But God can make it into good. I'm not saying everything's going to be good. I'm saying it's going to come out good. And the great thing about it was, as I said with the crucifixion of Jesus, is that we, we learn to return good for evil because it's God who's in control. Another lesson is that sin is not altered by God's use of it. See, we have to be careful here because often people are really skittish about saying, well, you know, God doesn't use sinful people. God, God doesn't have anything to do with sinful people. Are you kidding? You can't read the Bible and say that with a straight face. God is, con- God, is God. God's, contro- God's in control, folks. God's on the throne. And I don't care who you've got. And you can name all kinds of dictators and, and, you know, psycho murderers and all that stuff, but God, it will work. Will work. They are not going to stop His will and His working. They will not. And there is something good that's going to come out of that. And we understand that. Just because, just because medicine has a particular poison in it that kills certain cells doesn't keep it from being poison. You put it in the wrong con- concentration, it's still going to kill you. Sin is still sin. And let me also say this. Just because God uses sinful people because of their choices... Their choices. Why is there sin in the world? God allowed choices. God allowed choices. But what is He going to do with all those choices? He is going to do His will. He's going to bring about His purpose. He is going to be God. Therefore, sin is sin. And when a man sins, he is totally responsible. God's not responsible. Even though he may use you to bring about some good, it doesn't mean that it takes away your sin. God is not to blame. We've got to trust God. He has dealt with the eternal consequences of sin and death. Now we have to understand that He is going to bring about good in this world. He's going to bring about good in this world. I want you to understand something also. I want you to understand uh, something else about forgiveness. Why did Joseph send out all the servants. I've thought about that. I've thought about that. I'd like to conjecture that Joseph was trying to protect his brothers. I think if those officials, if those servants had heard what 
had happened and what the brothers did to Joseph, they would not have been quick to grant forgiveness like Joseph. I think they would have held it against them. And I think their time in Egypt would have been very, very strained at best. And I think I'd have watched my back at worst. The third thing, God's plan, God's, pers- God's purpose, God's plan. Verse 9, 9, 9 through 15. Joseph said, hurry back to my father. Say to him, God's made me Lord over Egypt. Come down to me. I've got a particular place for you. He's going to send his brothers back to his family and he's going to reveal the plan. Bring all the family and we're going to live in Egypt. I've got this great place. It's large enough for you. It's got plenty of food. It's got the best pasture land in Egypt. Goshen. And that's where we are going to live. My family's going to live. And Joseph embraces them. He kisses them. He, He says, I want to provide for you. And I love this thing, verse, verse 12. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is I who's speaking to you. You can just understand what's going on here. He's been talking about all this stuff. He's been going through all this uh, uh, the story here. And what are these guys doing? They're just in a fog. They can't believe it. They cannot believe that this is Joseph. And yet he's saying, you have discovered a long lost brother. I am bringing reconciliation over the sin that you've committed for so many, for, for, for years back. And I'm going to bring you to a highly coveted place for shepherds, for my family. That's God's plan. What's God's plan basically doing? He's taking them out of Canaan, out of a very sinful, degenerate situation, and He's going to bring them down to Egypt where they will be separate from the Egyptians. Remember what I talked to you last week. Keep remembering that. He, this is God's plan. He's bringing His people, His people down to Egypt and they are going to flourish in Egypt more than they would have in Canaan. So God makes provision, 16 through 20. The news reached Pharaoh's palace and Pharaoh heard about the brothers and was pleased he said, this is great. I love this. Now, why, do I, why did I call it God's provision? He's working through Pharaoh. Why should Pharaoh care about, you know, Hebrews? Pharaoh. All the things that Joseph has done so far for Pharaoh. Uh, verse 17, tell your brothers, do this. I love this translation. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, uh, Pharaoh is, is outlining what they need to be doing. 
And I love it because, because Pharaoh is going right down the plan with Joseph and if he, if he veers from the plan of Joseph, he's expanding it to their benefit. He said, do this. Load your animals, return to Canaan. Bring your father and your families back to me. I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and enjoy the fat of the land. Do it. Do it. Carry out the things that, that, that's been going. Oh, by the way, I also directed them to do this. Take some carts, okay? These are not Kroger or Walmart shopping carts. These are big old carts. And, they, and what are they going to use them for? Bring your children, bring your wives, bring your father and come. And you know what? Don't, don't worry about the luggage. Don't worry about your stuff. I'll, I'll provide everything you need. Can you? I mean, it's like, you know, when, uh, when the children of Israel left Egypt and God made the Egyptians what? Favorable to them, right? And they gave them all kinds of stuff. Well, a lot of people forget. They got a lot of stuff when they came. And that helped them to grow. Pharaoh is simply ratifying everything that's in this plan and even expanding it. And I think it's an expression of gratitude. Take the carts. Don't worry about your stuff. I'm going to richly provide for you because, you know, Joseph has just done such a good job here. Such a good job here. And, and look at ver- back at verse 16 very quickly. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and whom? The servants, the officials were pleased. Joseph has made a major inroad with the people of Egypt. They love him. Why? They would be dead by now. And he has given them life. And it's like having Christians in your community. God blessing of a Christian is a blessing to the community. Over and over and over again. Everything that that Joseph has done. Joseph was in Potiphar's house and what happened? A blessing. And, and then he was at prison. What happened? There was a blessing. He was, he was raised to a leadership role. And then this role. You've got God's person, God's purpose, God's plan, God's provision, and then God's proof. God's proof. Last few verses. And we're going to come back to this just a little bit next week, but I want to I hit this just very quickly. Joseph takes action. He gives them the carts. He gives them the provisions. Uh, To each of them, verse 22, he gave them uh, new clothes. To Benjamin, he gave them 300 shekels, seven and a half pounds of silver and five sets of clothes. To his father, he gave him 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and other provisions. 
<laughs> I think this is funny. Verse 24, and he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Don't quarrel on the way. You know, these guys have got to be so confused. Because this is in a hurried state. They really have not had time for everything to sink in. They really haven't. Yes, sir? God has already seen the outcome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Jacob hadn't. And Jacob's no longer needs some convincing. Why? Because they're going to get home and what? They're going to say, what? Joseph is alive. Yeah, right. That is a sick joke. That's a sick joke. He's not going to believe that. And guess what it says? Verse 26. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. And he was stunned. Do you know what that means? It means heart stopping. He, he, I mean, boom. There you go. It, it's heart stopping. And he did not believe them. I wouldn't have. These guys have lied to me. These guys are, you know... You gotta have reports on them because they're they do maniac things. And you say, what kind of maniac things? Well, wiping out an entire village of male population. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. He warned them. He warned them. I'm sure that they're still thinking. What if he brings our entire family up here and wipes us out? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, you know? What if he tells our dad what, what we did, you know? But it exceeds any expectations. But when they told him everything, it does not say that they told him about Joseph and selling. I've got an idea they did. I can't say it for sure. But I've got an idea they did. I think they came clean. So they've, he's been told something, and then what else? What seals the deal? He saw the carts. These carts were not, you know, just run-of-the-mill carts. I don't know what an Egyptian cart looks like, but obviously it was different than a Canaanite cart. And with all the stuff piled up, and he puts those words, and he sees something, and he starts to say, maybe, just maybe. And it says, Jacob's spirit was revived. He started believing. And he said, I'm convinced. My son is alive, and he is the ruler of Egypt. He's the ruler of Egypt. He needed some convincing, folks. This is a man for 22 years thought his son had died. This is a man who, who has just been in, in grief. 
and has been holding on to this 20-year-old son like, I can't let you out of my sight. You know, he's got this obsession thing going on. And there's a third thing that you need to think about. It was difficult for him to leave even though he knows, and this leads into next week's lesson, by the way, he knows that his son is alive. He knows that he's ruler of Egypt. But there's a third thing that that we tend to forget. Abraham, his descendant, was told what by God? The land. What land? The land where he is. Not in Egypt. The land where he is. So should he leave? He's going to need some confirmation from God about that. Come back next week. Now, a few quick lessons. Holding a grudge... is very tempting. But it can show a shallow view of God. I can say that easily. Doing it's very difficult. When I understand God's providence, it helps me in three different ways. Number one, it helps me with security. Folks, we are in a time of global and national chaos... And as responsible people, we need to make wise assessments. We need to exercise our privileges in the democracy. But I've got to tell you, and it's going to get worse over the next few months leading up to next November, you're going to hear debates, you're going to see actions, you're going to see spin doctors and speech writers, and they are going to be quite unsettling. So you need to write this passage down and memorize it. Keep it uh, ever in your mind. Isaiah 40, verse 15. Isaiah 40, verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He is not disregarding human beings. It is simply saying who God is and who we are. And not only us as individuals, but nations. God is not preoccupied with things and nations like we are. God knows what's going on and He can use them and He can bring them down. He can also build them up. But don't be fooled into thinking that if something gets too big for their britches, it's like washing your car. You got this, you know, couple gallon bucket, and you 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 pour the water out, the dirty water out, and these drips fall off, and you're sitting there going, yeah, you know, get them out, dry it up. It's nothing. It's nothing. A little dust on the skip, blow it away. Nothing. That's our God. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Go on down in in chapter 40. Just read the whole chapter. uh, Verses 25 and 26. To whom will I 
will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes, look at the heavens. Who created these? And you, you, you think about the stars. There are a hundred billion stars that, it, that people say in the Milky Way. Over a hundred billion. So I want you to do something for me. Start tonight and start counting them. Start one, two, three, four, and count. Let me know when you're up to about 750 billion. Okay? And I'm sitting there thinking, why am I worried? Of course I get worried. I'm an individual. I'm a human being. But why? He calls out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. That's our God. That's our God. So you want to know what God gives us? He gives us security. Number two, He gives us comfort. Because if I know that that's my God, I can go to sleep tonight and I can wake up in the morning and and face the day, face the world. I'm not 100% sure how people do it if they don't have God. I don't don't understand. Because it would look terrifying. It would look very, very scary. Don't don't go for happiness. Happiness is, 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 is just a byproduct. You know that God is God and you work hard, you be content with what's going on and you understand, you understand that He brings up nations, brings down nations, and you sit there and think, well, he's just so awesome, he doesn't see me. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows the very hairs of your head, and he's numbered them, and he knows exactly you and your need. It brings me security. God's providence brings me comfort. And it also brings humility. Humility. Because I realize that I am not what He wants me to be. And I need to be forgiven. And I need to forgive. I need to be more like Christ in saying, Father, forgive them. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, shove off things that have that that mistreatment it doesn't shove off sins it it shoves off the idea of i have a superiority over you i think that i am not in the same boat in need of forgiveness as you are Forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. We can't get too big for our britches. And I love it that Joseph was forgiving because he understood that very quickly the brother's grief could turn into excess. You know, that's, what, that's, that's one of the things about 2 Corinthians. What does 2 Corinthians do? You know? They're saying, 1 Corinthians says, you got a guy there, he's not doing right. You know, let him know he's not doing right. And then the 2 Corinthians comes back and saying, okay, that's enough. You, you've let him know he's, he's repentant, he's sorry about it. Now, now bring him back in. 
Don't, don't keep pushing. Don't keep pressing. Don't, don't keep bringing it up. Don't keep doing this and that. You know, it's forgiven. It's forgiven. Humility. Humility. Comfort, security, humility. God is working. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our day. Thank you for watching over us and caring for us. Thank you for this story of Joseph and the, the story of forgiveness and the story of for you, you working through all of these people. The just, just amazing. But we are, we are in awe of you. We, we, we function and we think in such a physical way. And you, you, you work in such a spiritual way and, and help us, help us to, to try to continue to become more and more Christ-like. And we know if we rely on you that you'll help us do that. Help us, give us strength, and give us courage. In Jesus' name, amen.